You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. you who don't know me, I'm Josiah. I'm the youth pastor here. It's a privilege and blessing to be able to dig into the Word with you guys this morning. Most of us know the story that Jesus came down from heaven to earth to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He spent the last three years of his life demonstrating the justice, healing, kindness, love, mercy that all mark his kingdom everywhere he went. He did this by bringing light to a world of darkness, truth to a world of confusion, healing in a world of pain, by attending to the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, and giving voice to the voiceless. When he himself announced the intentions of his mission in his hometown before he got started, he said it this way in Luke 4. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he went around doing all these things. He spent three years doing them, training his disciples, and then we know the story. He died on the cross, rose again, and ascended into heaven. But right before he ascended, he passed on this project of establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven to humans. He passed it off to his disciples and those who would follow him. Thankfully, he didn't leave us alone to do it on our own and figure out how. He sent us the Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to do all the heavy lifting of accomplishing his purposes. So when we surrender to the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is we're making Jesus king. And where Jesus is king, there is his kingdom. When we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're building and establishing God's beautiful kingdom on earth. There's a word for this. It's called ministry. Simply put, ministry just means attending to the needs of others. Christian ministry, then, is being empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a true blessing to other people. And we're all called to it as Christians. We've all been called to attend to the needs of others by allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us to do it. As when we became Christians, we said that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, you're the boss. You're in charge. You're my king. And as Lord or king, he's giving us assignments which further accomplish these purposes of establishing his kingdom. Where Jesus is king, there is his kingdom. Ministry isn't a job in a church. It's not a scripted method of convincing people what you believe. It's not trying to do something exactly the same way somebody else does it. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you in the unique way that God has created you to continue the ministry of Jesus on the earth. So when I talk about ministry this morning, I'm talking to you. I'm going to use the word a lot because I want you to identify with it. You are called to minister to others. But I'd venture to guess that some of us have witnessed things done in the name of ministry that have done more harm than help. Maybe some of us have seen this from afar on the news or heard stories, and others of us have probably definitely experienced firsthand 
pain of people who misuse or um, distort their, have distorted intentions with helping each other. A few examples of distorted intentions would be instead of helping others for their good, helping others so that I feel good or for my own benefit. Since Disney Plus came out this week, I thought I'd use a couple of Disney references here, even though I'm not a big Disney guy. I had to get help from some of the teenagers on some of these. But, so helping others for my own benefit would be like the octopus Ursula, who, who helps the little mermaid get her, what is it, her legs, her human, become a human, but then she steals her voice, so it's really bad motives, right? <laughs> Um, or helping others to gain respect or notoriety or praise would be another distortion. This is like Hans who takes care of Anna's kingdom in Frozen while she's gone only to betray her so he could become, let me get this right, the hero who saves Arendelle um, and become the king himself. I'm not too familiar with that one, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> or helping others, this one's even uglier, helping others to make sure they know that I'm better than them, that they're the one that needs help and I'm the one giving it. Or similarly, helping others so that they feel like they owe me something and I'll either cash in later or I'll always let them feel like they owe me something. Like Cinderella's stepmom who adopted her in the family but then kept her as a slave in the house. Well, in 2 Corinthians 10, 2 Corinthians is the book that we've been studying for several weeks now. In, the, in chapter 10, the Apostle Paul responds to some people who had distorted ministry in some of these ways. So this morning, we're going to examine this chapter and come out with some insight comparing legitimate Christian ministry and a false version of it. So let me give you some context first. In the year 50 AD or so, the Apostle Paul went to the town of Corinth. It was actually a big city. And he began preaching the gospel there, and some people rejected it. He had a hard time at first, but then lots received it. So he was able to plant a church there. He spent about a year and a half in the city of Corinth, establishing the Corinthian church. While he was there, he refused to receive any money from the Corinthians, and he actually worked as a humble tent maker in order to support himself. That'll be important later. After Paul got to the, the church in Corinth up and running, he moved towards Ephesus because that was his job. He got churches started all over and then he moved on. So he moved on to Ephesus where he stayed two or three years. But during that time, he kept hearing word that there was trouble in Corinth. All sorts of things were going wrong. There were all sorts of sin and problems and they had lots of questions. So they wrote back and forth a few times. Uh, more than the two times that we have in the Bible, but we do have two of them recorded, First and Second Corinthians in your Bible, in the New Testament. And these letters, uh, Paul gives some wise counsel for how they should meet together. He has beautiful theology in both of these books that he explains really clearly. He expresses his love for these people, and he addresses some very serious threats to the church in Corinth. The most serious threat to the church was a group of false ministers, whom Paul sarcastically calls super apostles, um, who had come in and turned many Corinthian Christians against Paul and the gospel that he preached. They questioned his integrity. They ridiculed his low status. They made fun of the way he looked and the way he spoke. They called him weak and spineless. 
These false ministers persuaded many of the Corinthian people, and then once they had them under their influence, they manipulated them in many ways. They demanded large amounts of money from the Corinthians in order for them to be able to live a higher status than Paul lived in. Um, They were authoritarian, demanding, and possibly even violent in their leadership. And they taught falsely about the law, the spirit, and even about who Jesus is. So the last four chapters of 2 Corinthians is where Paul turns his attention toward these people. Now that you have a little context, I'd encourage you to read that last four chapters of 2 Corinthians this week. It's really, it's an incredible part of the Bible, a glimpse into Paul's mind, and he gives a defense for his whole ministry, and it's very emotional and heated and awesome. Um, Here's a little glimpse of it in chapter 11. It says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by its cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel than the one you accepted, You submit to it readily enough. I think that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. I may be untrained in speech, but not in knowledge. Certainly in every way and in all things we have made this evident to you. And then verse 13. For such boasters are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then verse 20. You put up with it when someone makes slaves of you or preys upon you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or gives you a slap in the face. So chapter 10 is the beginning of this emotionally charged plea for the Corinthians to come back to the truth that he had originally taught them about the law of of grace and mercy, the new covenant that Jesus has given us, about who Jesus is, and about the Holy Spirit. He's pleading for them to come back to the truth. So as we study these, script, these chapters, we're going to see a clear picture of the difference between legitimate Christian ministry and that which is false. Or another way to say it, divinely empowered kingdom ministry or self-propelled earthly ministry. Ministry by God's standards or ministry by human standards. After digging around in this letter, I found um, four distortions of ministry that these false apostles are guilty of. Number one, this distorted ministry depends on an appearance of attractive and, health and wealthy lifestyle. So the appearance of an attractive and wealthy lifestyle. As I mentioned above, Paul is a tent maker. Tent makers and other artisans, they weren't the poorest of the poor, but they were definitely looked down on by the higher class, by the elite. And so these false teachers ridiculed Paul for having nothing and for being low class. They also ridiculed him for his sufferings. We know that Paul did a lot of suffering for the name of Jesus. Their ridicule might have sounded something like this. This is not from the Bible. If Paul was a true apostle sent by God, why would he always be suffering? Seems like every time you see him, he's, like, he's healing from a beating or he's fresh out of jail. How can you not see that God would not employ a convict like him for his divine purposes? But look at us. Look how everyone loves us. 
We live a proper lifestyle, and God has blessed us with favor and easy living. Second distortion. Distorted ministry depends on crafty persuasion. So this is what they said about Paul. His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. These super apostles were apparently more eloquent than Paul, and they rubbed it in his face. They were crafty in their persuasion, both with carefully chosen words, but also with a false gospel that sounded more enticing to their ears. What the false apostles taught was legalism, a form of it. For some reason, humans are so easily allured by legalism throughout church history. You can see it popping up everywhere. There's something about black and white, reward and punishment, in and out kind of thinking that maybe feels safer or maybe feels like it's something I can accomplish on my own, so people are allured to it. Maybe the false apostles said something like this. Why have you abandoned the law of Moses? What is this heresy that Paul is teaching you? Why have you abandoned all the laws of the rabbis since Moses? You must obey the law. If you do, you will prosper like us. But if you continue to follow this contemptible way of living that Paul has taught you, you will suffer God's punishment just like Paul. Three, distorted ministry depends on an authoritarian style of leadership. We read this already, but let's read it again. In 11 verse 20, it says, For you put up with it when someone makes slaves of you, or preys upon you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or gives you a slap in the face. Violent manipulation, whether in word or deed, is a telltale sign that there's something ugly beneath the surface. If not humbled, this ugliness will usually be exposed eventually, leaving pain and confusion all around. People who try to control others with this kind of authoritarian, manipulative, or violent manner need to take a long pause on any kind of ministry and get things right in their soul, find a counselor, and then learn the Jesus way to minister to others. Fourth, distorted ministry is measured by human standards. Here's what he says in verse 12. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're stupid. I think that's what the Greek really probably meant. (laughs) Um, But they do not show good sense. The core problem with this false ministry is that there's nothing to back it up. These super apostles can compare with each other all day long. And they can even compare themselves with the best that the world had to offer. But Paul knows that that's not enough. Because Paul's ministry is of an entirely different nature. He's working on a whole different plane. Paul's ministry is God-empowered, God-aligned, God-approved, Christ-like, and effective. Let's break that down. Legitimate ministry, Paul's ministry, was aligned with the will of God. Here's a little glimpse into his thinking here in chapter 10, verse 13. He says, We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, But we'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service that God himself has assigned to us. So what he's saying is that the reason we're even talking to you is um, because it was God's idea in the first place to plant a church in Corinth. We were just obeying what he said. It was actually God's idea for me to be the one to plant the church in Corinth. So I'm just obeying what he's saying. 
So Paul's not overreaching and he's not, um, he's not making up assignments for himself. He's just in tune with God's spirit and he's aware of his assignment. And that's how the kingdom works. If Jesus is king, that's where his kingdom is. And our job is to serve the king. So he leads and we follow. And beautiful things continue to happen on earth in the same way they did when Jesus walked this earth. When we align with God's will for what we're supposed to do in ministry. And that's all of us. Number two, legitimate ministry is empowered by God. And this is just logical. If God asked us to do something and we said yes, then he's going to give us the power to accomplish what he asked us to do. Here's what he says in verse four. Our weapons, I think he means our methods of ministry, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Divine power means power straight from God. Paul is, does his work with a strength and power that comes straight from heaven. The methods he uses are not the same methods of the world because, like I said, he's operating on a whole different plane. God, Paul is doing work in a higher reality. He's working for the kingdom of heaven and the methods of the earth just don't work there. Because his methods are aligned with the will of God, they're also empowered by God. And divinely empowered ministry is effective ministry. Third, legitimate ministry is approved by God. Here's what he says in verse 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Those who minister according to the will of God can be certain that God's approving of their work. And this is amazing. This is like when the Father opened up the heaven when Jesus was being baptized. The heavens opened up and all around could hear God say, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. That's the character of our Father. He likes to let us know that he approves of the work that we're doing when we're aligned with his will. And when we hear that, when we know for sure that we've, we've done everything we can to line up with what God asked us to do and we're just being obedient servants of the king, there's this deep confidence that could well up inside of us that God approves. Knowing that God approves is actually the antidote to manipulation. If we know that what we're doing is approved by God, we're not going to try to do backflips to impress other people. We're not going to try to force people to like us or to approve of us. So knowing that God approves of your work is the antidote to manipulation. Fourthly, legitimate ministry is marked by the attitude of Christ. So at the very beginning of this section, I told you uh, chapters 10 through 13 are the section where Paul's making his argument in defense of his ministry. Before he launches into any of these arguments, and they're amazing, he talks about these like out-of-body vision experiences and miracles following everywhere he goes and all the suffering that he goes through that legitimizes his claims. Before any of that, he makes his appeal based on the attitude of Christ. In verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, but it's by the humility and gentleness of Christ that I appeal to you. So his first and greatest claim is that the attitude of Christ, that his attitude is the same as the attitude of Christ, humble and gentle. Is that how we think of Jesus, humble and gentle? Well, it's actually how he described himself. Matthew 11, 
29, we can see it, where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart. Can you see how much this contrasts with these super apostles who are so worried about status, wealth, appearances, manipulation, and pride? The ministry of Jesus is marked by gentleness and humility. He was ridiculed for spending time with people at the bottom of society. Children, women, foreigners, tax collectors, sinners caught in the act. He didn't concern himself with defending his reputation because he just let it be what it was. He identified with these people. Even when he's brought before the person who could decide if he's going to die, he doesn't defend his reputation. He's humble and gentle at heart. It's super interesting to take a look at the description of the culture of his kingdom that he gives in Luke 6. Here's what he says in Luke 6, starting in verse 20. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets, to the real prophets, to the legitimate prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. If these words weren't from the mouth of Jesus, I wouldn't dare say them, and I actually wouldn't even want to be thinking about them. They're difficult. But if this is the training manual for the disciples who are going to go spread his kingdom across the earth, I think we need to listen to it, because it's our training manual too. Jesus is sending us to go spread his kingdom throughout the earth. And if this is what it looks like, may we learn from it. Surely Paul did. I know he took it to heart. Luke probably wasn't written by the time 2 Corinthians was written, but he was, they would pass down Jesus' teachings to each other, and so I'm sure he learned this from his disciples. Because it's clear to me that Paul was counted among the poor, the hungry, those who weep, and the persecuted. And the super apostles counted among the rich, the, those who were full, those who were laughing, and those whom all men spoke well of. The super apostles tried to use this to Paul's shame, but Paul wore it as a badge of honor because he knew that his attitude was aligned with the attitude of Christ, who was also counted among the poor and those who weep and those who are hungry and those who were persecuted even unto death. So legitimate ministry takes on the humility and gentleness of Christ. How can we apply this, what we're learning from the Apostle Paul, about these super apostles? 
I'd like us to ask some questions. I'm just going to run some questions by you to help consider these, this theme that we're looking at this morning. And then, um, in, I, I was already going to do this before Neil did the moment of silence, but um, take another moment of silence to let the Spirit speak. See if there's anything that he wants to highlight this morning from this message. So the first question I want to ask is, what kind of people do we look up to, try to emulate, and learn from? Is our list just full of people who are attractive, wealthy, powerful people at the top of society? Is it people who show off, or people who use tricks or manipulation are forced to persuade us? Are there some more humble sources from which we could learn? Maybe people who have suffered much. I think that's probably why a lot of us are here at this church, because our pastor, Pastor Joel, has suffered much. And out of that has come wisdom and um, just this life of gratitude that only suffering seems like it can produce. So that's so good that we're learning from him. Are there others who've suffered much that we can learn from? The marginalized, the colonized, the underprivileged, the persecuted. I've been looking at my bookshelf and my podcast feed and really making efforts to make sure that there are voices speaking into my life that aren't the first ones that would pop into your head or the first ones that would pop up on a Google ad when you type in how to be a better person. <laughs> you know, I don't do that very often. <laughs> but... Um, it's been really healthy for me to make sure that I'm not only learning from one demographic and one group of people who have all the voice and take up all the space. Um, here's another question. What does my ministry to others currently look like? The first part of that question is, do I minister to others? Do I spend time? Do I think about how to be a blessing to other people? And then um, if that's already a no, then the next parts of the questions are going to be hard. So maybe stop there and think, how can I really own this truth that I'm part of Jesus's project of extending his kingdom on earth wherever I go, of bringing the blessings of Christ wherever I go? How can I be part of that? And then the next part of this question would be, is my ministry to others aligned with God or is it striving on my own, according to my own agenda? So here's a subtle difference, but it's huge. Um, sounds subtle, but it's huge. Are we asking God, Lord, will you do in me whatever you want to do, or what do you want me to do with my life, or my day, or my moment? Or is it, God, this is what I'm going to do, will you bless it? You see the difference? God, what do you want me to do? God, this is what I want to do, will you bless it? And I think the first one is how we align with God's will. He might tell us to do something we weren't quite thinking of. So is my ministry to others aligned to God's will or according to my own agenda? Second, is my, and if you answered no to this one, the next one is going to be hard to answer yes to. The second one is, is my ministry to others empowered by God or striving on my own strength? Like I said, it logically follows that if we are aligning with God's will for our lives, he's going to provide the strength. But we've got to allow him to move through us and allow him to give us the strength. And the third, is my ministry approved by God, or am I always comparing myself to other people in the world? Now, I think maybe some people here are 
absolutely aligned with God's will for their life. They've asked that question over and over. God, what do you want me to do? How can I submit to you? I mean, none of us are perfect, but a lot of us have aligned with God's will. We've been doing work for his kingdom that's empowered by his spirit. But then for some reason, we have a hard time letting him say, good job. You know, like for some reason, we have a hard time letting God say those really good words to us. Like, really, the God of heaven would say that to me? He would. That's his heart. He loves you so much. And when we align with him and when we do the things he asks us to do, he does whisper that. Good job. I approve. And it's so important to let him say that because, like I said, knowledge of that approval of God is what gives us the deepest kind of confidence, the kind of confidence that is the antidote to manipulation that keeps us from um, pulling approval out of other people in unhealthy ways. So uh, I'll let God say, I approve. I love you. I'm proud of you. And then is my attitude humble and gentle, or is it arrogant and forceful? Let's take a minute to ask these questions. Maybe one of them stood out. Maybe something even from worship is still um, sticking out to you. Whatever it is, let's just, um, 30 seconds isn't going to allow the Holy Spirit to totally change. I mean, maybe you could, but we're not really asking him to like completely transform us in this area in these 30 seconds. We're asking him what he wants to work on in our lives, what he wants to bring to mind that we can continue to bring to him in prayer, in discussion in our small groups, etc. So let's take 30 seconds and just ask the Spirit to speak. My prayer for us as a church is that we would experience the divinely empowered ministry everywhere we go. Imagine if all of us in all the different places we go were empowered by God to serve others and we were actively serving others in the way that he's asking us to do it. Imagine the, kingdom, the reach of the kingdom of heaven everywhere all of us end up going this week, next week, throughout our lives. That we'd experience that, that ministry that's empowered by God that flows from submission to Christ. That we'd all learn this humility and gentleness of Christ. And we'd take his yoke upon us and learn from him. Because he's gentle and humble at heart. And this way we'd step into aligned, empowered, effective, and approved ministry that truly blesses others in eternally significant ways. Let me pray for us while the worship team comes back up. God, I'm so grateful that your Holy Spirit is present among us to do all the work, to send all the power and strength, to give us the strategy, to tell us what to do, and then help us to do it, and how much that aligns with the way you've created us to be in the first place. And I'm so grateful for what you're going to do through the lives of people sitting here right now as you continue to form us to look more like Jesus and to minister more like Jesus in the earth. So Lord, we do. We submit to you. We make that humble confession that we've, we mess up regularly. We ask for your forgiveness and your help. 
And we submit to you, God, and say, do whatever you want to do in us. It's not working according to my own agenda. Let's do it according to yours. And then, Lord, we expect with hands open for your power to come and empower us. And we'll take the steps of boldness and faith that come with the power of God living inside of us. And we'll listen. We'll open our ears to your approval, the kindness of your voice, the deep confidence of knowing that you approve. And then we'll go. And we'll go do whatever you ask us to do. And I'm so excited to see, Lord, what you're going to lead us into. We pray this all in the mighty and humble name of Jesus. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.